Around year 1800, right at the turn of the 19th century, there was a man by the name of Jonathan Chapman who traveled. Uh, he started in western Pennsylvania and followed the Ohio River and moved his way westward. Uh, as he went, he was uh, approximately around age 25 at the time he did this. And uh, he was maybe known to be just a bit eccentric, and, uh, but as he went, he had uh, several canoes, and they were full of seed. And as he traveled, he would uh, uh, get off of, or yeah, pull his canoes up to the bank, and he would plant seeds. He would plant trees, and there is no telling how many trees he planted as he went westward. And he went kind of to the edge of the uh, civilization, I guess, at that point. Uh, and he endured wars. He endured um, dangers and just all the craziness that went with the, the western frontier at that point. But as he went, he kept planting seeds. Even though that's about 200 years ago, there are several trees that are believed to have been planted by him. And I'm sure some of you are probably making the connection. I'm talking about Johnny Appleseed. What made him do it? What made Johnny Appleseed plant apple trees? What, what, what compulsion was it that made him plant trees for years and years and travel in a lonely sort of way, in a dangerous sort of way, and plant seeds. I don't know for sure, but I do know he must have had a vision for the future. He must have had a vision for what was going to happen with those seeds. Today I want to talk about another parable, another story, it's the parable of the sower. And... Uh, Glenn read the text, it's here in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, and then the explanation comes uh, a little later on, in verses 18 to 23. A very simple story, it's not hard for us to understand, it's not very complex, we can easily make the analogies, it's something that we've heard before, um, my goal today is to make it fresh and new in our minds. Here in Matthew chapter 13, there was the uh, account in Matthew 12, which immediately preceded this according to chapter 13, verse 1. The same day, it says, he had been having the discussion with the, um, um, I, I think, people from his hometown pretty much, and uh, his family members were there, and people that knew Jesus as he was growing up. And they uh, basically rejected Jesus by saying that he was enabled and empowered by Satan or Beelzebub. And uh, he gave the, um, the um, teaching there and uh, ended with the discussion in chapter 12 about the followers of Jesus being his brothers and sisters. So that's the context of this uh, this account, this story here in chapter 13, and we have a very long chapter here. It's, uh, depending how you break it up, it's about seven parables, and he gives stories about what constitutes the kingdom of heaven and 
who and how and what qualifies a person to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I'd like for us to keep that in our minds as we go. Today in our Sunday school lesson, we had that line about the revelation of mysteries. And here in chapter uh, 13, verse 11, we have something similar where it says, Because it is given unto you, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's a, um, correctly said in our Sunday school class, the Sunday school class that I was in, that the mysteries as it's given here in the Greek is the idea of unveiling. It's closely connected to the word revelation, which is the book, the title of the book, the last book in the Bible. It has not to do, very little to do with Mysteries in the sense that of something unknown or riddles, but it's the idea of having something unveiled or being exposed or being revealed is the word I think that was used in the Sunday school lesson. And then again um, here in chapter 13, verse 11. He starts, Jesus starts with something that is understood, something that is simple, and he moves beyond that to something that they don't understand. And in this case, in this time, They didn't understand the spiritual connections that Jesus was making by making this simple story about a sower who was sowing seed in a field. He moves from something that was natural. Perhaps as Jesus was talking, there may even have been a sower in that region. I think that they were at the bank of the the Sea of Galilee there. And it's very possible that close to the water there, there would have been flat ground. Perhaps Jesus was even pointing or observing a sower as he was actually sowing. But he moves from the simple to the more profound. He moves from the spiritual, from the natural to what is more supernatural. He moves from what is material to what is spiritual. They understood sowing. They were some, it was something that they were connected with. They were much more agrarian in their understanding, perhaps even than some of us are in this day and age. But again, the story is something that is filled with um, simple and yet necessary, profound, something that applies to us today, the readers. Let's go over the story. It starts in verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Pretty simple. A farmer whose responsibility was to sow the seed that particular day. There was probably nice weather. The seed was probably, uh, the ground was probably prepared, as prepared as it could be. And the rows were probably furrowed, plowed, ready to receive the seed. And this sower probably would have had a sack or a bag hanging over his shoulder. I picture in my mind that he had a, uh, yeah, a pouch of some kind, and as he went, he methodically stepped, probably calculated about how many feet per step. He had a pattern or a rhythm in it as he walked, and simultaneously he would reach his hand into his pouch and spread the seed, broadcast it. When he got to the end of the row, at the end of the field, he would turn around and take a corresponding amount of distance to his left or right 
and would do the same thing till he got to the other side of it. In today's world, there is much more technology, and uh, um, even though I'm no longer in farming, I find it interesting to note some of the advances, very recent advances that they make, where they are as, uh, tractors are um, controlled by GPS and um, cell phone signals and that sort of thing. And the uh, operator is simply sitting in the cab, um, yeah, making sure things don't run away. But the uh, planter and the tractor are completely under the control, and the rates become completely adjusted depending on the spot in the field that is more fertile. They would plant much higher population of corn or seed in the spot that is able to, to grow that amount of seed, and then the planter will automatically adjust to other spots in the field where there's more clay or rocky soil, and they will plant accordingly a lower population in those areas um, according to the uh, soil samples. So, that was, this was now and that was then. But as I uh, looked at this, I found it very interesting to, to note how he sowed. And it talks about the condition of the soil as it goes through here. As he sowed, some seeds fell on the road, roadway along the path, and they were eaten by birds. One of the other Gospels says that they were also, the seeds were also trampled by people that, and animals and such that walked along the path. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and this would be the lower quality. Maybe there was nothing wrong with the topsoil that was present, but there was enough of um, rocks and things mixed in with the topsoil that became a hindrance to the seed growing. There was no depth. Perhaps there was a pan just below the surface. So as the corn or as the uh, plant grew, it immediately, the roots immediately hit the rocky pan that was just below the surface. And then there was other soil that was infested with weed seed. And yet a fourth kind of seed soil that was listed in our parable as good ground. Ground that could, um, could grow the seed. But this sower keeps sowing, chucking seed indiscriminately. He is putting plenty on. All of these places seemingly getting the same amount. And as he goes, he's throwing seed, chucking seed, why is he not more careful, you would ask? Why is he not being um, more careful about not getting seed at the places where it won't grow? Well, I don't know for sure, but the parable is pretty clear that he's throwing gospel seed. He's throwing the Word of God, which is the uh, definition that Jesus was, was talking about. So Jesus has the parable set up. They were, it was something they were used to, to seeing. It was something that they had been watching. Perhaps even at that moment, somebody was close to where they were and they were doing it. As he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, or literally on the road. And the birds were hovering in the trees and the nearby places, and they came and ate the seed up. I picture narrow pathways, 
probably narrow paths as small as two or three feet wide. I doubt that in that time, as today, there is probably not an abundance of fertile ground in the land of Palestine, in that area. Israel tends to be dry and not as productive as some spots in the world. And uh, these paths were probably narrow to save, um, yeah, to conserve ground. And uh, seed that fell on these, this uh, paths, beaten down paths, they were probably dusty, dry, hard, walked on and walked over. Besides that, there was the birds who came and ate the seed. The second kind of soil is in verse 5 and 6. He calls it rocky. And that's simply places that couldn't contain or didn't have the, um, the sustenance. The nutrients were not present. The seed would maybe get started, but it didn't have any chance with the pressure of the sunlight and the sun and the heat, the dry conditions. <clears throat> There's a third kind of soil here, and that is the weedy soil, the thorny soil. The thorns, the weeds came and choked it out. I'm sure that the farmer or anybody who does gardening or planting lawns or whatever, we're concerned about the condition of the presence of weed seeds. It's something that we do our best to control and to keep out for good reason. Because when the moisture comes, when the seeds sprout, the good seed takes hold and starts to grow. But the problem is that the weed seeds come simultaneously. The weed seeds are present. The weed seeds are native to that soil. The good seed is not native to that soil. And as the weeds, as the seeds grow, the weeds grow with it. And the weeds restrict the sunlight they drink away moisture, and they, take, they rob nutrients that are, should be saved or conserved for the plant. Every farmer knows about this. And then in verse 8, it tells us that there was also good seed. In chapter 13, verse 8, Other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit. It yielded a crop. There was fruit, varying degrees. 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. That's good ground. And that's a, the kind of ground that, um, yeah, every farmer wants, every farmer looks for, because it's necessary for the crop. Some soils might be a bit more acidic than others. The, the uh, composition of the soil might have more clay, or for whatever reason, there is a varied amount, but there's fruit just the same. A hundredfold would probably been, have been very abnormal or unheard of. Perhaps even 60 or 30-fold would have been abnormal or astonishing for the, the crop yield in that point. But Jesus makes a spiritual point here, that, and that is that the possibility that this seed that's being thrown indiscriminately chucked to the ground would find a spot that would produce a crop. Well, Jesus gave that simple illustration. And then in verse 9, he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
And that's pretty much the story. He was clearly making a point to his disciples and the people that were listening that there's something that he wants them to get. There's something that he wants them to understand. There's a deeper meaning to what he has just been talking about. And so the disciples have some discussion, and they're uh, seemingly a bit uh, unsure what, he, what he's talking about. And so in verses 10 to 17, Jesus has this little um, um, teaching point and session. He quotes some varied um, passages from the book of Isaiah, and he talks to them about being able to see and understand and perceive and those sorts of things. And again, I'm not exactly sure that I understand fully what is being talked about there, other than it's very clear that um, there's something important here that Jesus is wanting them to, to get. So now we go to verse 18, and Jesus is making a, a clear point here to not only uh, challenge them about seeing and hearing and understanding, but he is uh, the good teacher. He is the person, he is the kind of teacher, the master that wants them to understand it, but he actually takes the effort to explain it to them. I'm thankful that Jesus is that sort of teacher. He makes it very clear that there's really only three components to this parable. There's basically only three things. That's the sower, the seed, and the soil. The sower is anyone who sows the seed. First of all, it was Jesus. He was the one that was seeding. He was seeding the crop here. And then it was the apostles. It was Paul. And now, finally, here in our time, it's us. We are the sowers. It's anyone who seeds, who sows seed. It's anyone who spreads the gospel. It's anyone who goes through our lives. The seed is the Word of God. And it's our responsibility as a sower to sow the seed, the Word of God. Wherever we go, we're called to throw seed indiscriminately. Wherever we go, we chuck seed. Several, numerous of the U.S. youth were doing that the last several weeks, I think, at camp. We should all be doing that as we go through our lives. Wherever we go, there should be a steady amount of seed coming out of our lives. The Word of God should be thrown around indiscriminately to all types of soils, to all sorts of conditions. It's the character of the hearer, the soil in this case, that has that determines whether or not the Word of God, the seed, will actually have effect on us. If you hear the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, you turn your back and walk away. It doesn't say anything about the sower. It doesn't say anything, say anything about the seed. But it reflects on this, the soil, on the heart, your heart. If you reject it, it doesn't say anything about the seed. It doesn't say anything about the sower. It has everything to say about your heart. 
It's a revelation of where your heart is. The soil is the heart. Let's look at these one by one. The first we have is the hard soil. The hard soil that was never tilled up. And verse 19, the soil that was never plowed, the soil that was down around the edge of the field, beaten down by people and animals who walked on it. It can't absorb the seed. It's the places where there's the most and the greatest amount of dust because of the compaction that happens. And so the top is especially dusty. The seed can't penetrate. It's exposed to um, the birds and the travelers themselves. And what, gets, what doesn't get eaten gets trampled. Well, there's hearts like this. There are hearts like this. Perhaps even here today. There's many, many hearts which correspond to that smooth, hard, beaten, impenetrable hardness of the footpath that is being walked on and, yeah, walked over. It's beaten down. The seeds can't penetrate. The heart, which is the soil here in the parable, is, has lots of traffic on it. There's lots of things walking through the heart. It's crossed by a multitude of, of uh, travelers. Think about your own heart. How many things are crossing through your heart? What kind of open doors and passages are open, is your heart open to? And anything that comes along can just traverse its way right through, the, right through your heart. There's open doors, there's an absence of fences and restrictions and boundaries, and whatever comes along just goes right through your heart, and it hardens your soil. Your soil is never broken up as a result of that. There's no conviction, there's no repentance, there's no soul-searching, the heart grows callous, the fear of the Lord is not something that's familiar to you, and the love of God is not even particularly attractive to you. There's no boundaries. Anything and everything can go right through your heart. The birds have full access to it. So when seed enters your heart, the chances of it being food for Satan or the chances of it being trodden down so that it's crushed and not able to, to do its, uh, its process is pretty strong. Your heart is unplowed. The sower is doing his job. The seed is good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the condition of your heart. Your heart is unplowed. It's un, no boundaries. And this reminds me of the people to whom Jesus came. He came for these kind of people. He threw seed all over Palestine during the years of his life here on earth, and especially during the years of his ministry. Everywhere he went, he invited them to come into his kingdom. And he indiscriminately performed miracles and taught doctrines and teachings that were important for that time and for our time. Jesus indiscriminately threw seed wherever he went. But it was Satan who came along and snatched it. It was the condition of the hearts of the hearers who rejected it. And that's a sad situation. And I and we don't have to look any further than our own hearts. 
as we sit here this morning? Am I, are you that dry, hard road at the end of the field? Some faithful messenger comes along and throws the seed, throws the word of God. It bounces, it disappears, and there's no fruit. There's nothing happens to it, nothing at all. It just disappears. Well, there's the second kind of soil here, and that's the rocky soil. The rocky soil. This one, there's the kind of seed that's thrown on, or the kind of soil that is, um, has other things mixed with it. It's temporary. Immediately, there is quick uh, response. There's the... Uh, um, the reception of the seed and it quickly sprouts but when the sun beats down and I think it's interesting two times he refers to sunshine or sunlight as an obstacle to overcome as persecution we don't think about it so much that way but when the sun shines not storms I'm talking about that he's talking about he's saying that on a perfectly clear day when things are going well and the conditions are about right. This seed, this rocky soil, has what it takes to start off well. And it starts off just that way. On the surface, it's like, whoa, this is great. Count me in. Where do I sign? This is wonderful. The commitment is there, but it's fleeting. It's temporary. And I think it's a challenge for us today. There's competition in this soil. There's pressure and reasons why this seed cannot continue to germinate, why it cannot continue to grow. There's an absence of nutrients there. There's affliction. There's persecution. The word that's used here in the Greek is the word pressure. When affliction comes, pressure comes, the seed can't handle it. The growth is stopped and withered. There's pressure. There's no real root there because of the rocks. <clears throat> this is a picture of a person who never counted the cost. They didn't realize that in order to be a Christian, it costs something. They need to, like Jesus said, abandon where they come from. Their worldview changes. They have a different, they can't continue to walk in the path that they walked. Jesus even uses the extreme lesson or teaching that if if we don't abandon father and mother in um, chapter 12 and so on, he's saying that if we don't abandon where we come from, if there's not a change of worldview and allegiance, there is no growth. And that's, I think, what Jesus is talking about here. There's a price to pay. There's pressure that comes um, as a result of being a Christian. And when there's rocky soil, there's no root there, it's going to fade and disappear. And then there's the weedy soil, the thorny ground. In verse 22, he says that that's the heart or the, the, the person who has lots of competition in their lives. The soil is, has all kinds of native things that you can't see. In spite of the fact that the ground is tilled, in spite, of the ground that, in spite of the fact that the ground is worked, it looks like everything's ready, and it is ready, but there is native things that are part of that soil 
weeds. And these weeds become a problem in the sense that they choke out. He says it's to the worries of the world. In verse 19, um, uh, let's see, that would be about verse 20, um, 22. He that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, the care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke out the word. That's the native stuff. That's the stuff that is there by itself. It's the kind of things that we deal with in our own lives on a daily basis. It's native to our hearts. And it becomes deceitful. It chokes out meaningful growth and fruit in our lives. Things like our career. Things like the environment that we live in. Uh, perhaps in our case here in Lancaster County or wherever you're from. There's things that uh, the spirit of the age. There's things that we uh, are concerned about. And as a result of that, this seed, the seed, the word of God, the seed that's not native to our heart, never sort of, it never brings up fr fruit. When there is seed in a, in a crop field or even in a garden, you have weeds that grow with. The plant is there, but there's no fruit, no fruit. It, it, uh, the plant can, can grow, even in a lawn. You can have an abundance of weeds. There's a bunch of grass there, but it, it uh, eventually becomes choked out. And in that same way, when the things in our lives are not pulled out at a tender age, at a young point of when the weeds are not removed, the combination of the weedy seed or the weedy crop and the good crop chokes out the good stuff. There's no fruit. It becomes unfruitful. There's no, no crop. Satan's counterfeits, I think, would, would come right in this, in this idea. And the lawn work that I do, there's, especially this time of year, we have lots of wild grasses that grow in yards. And they do really well in the situation that we have. And certain times of the year, it's the same color. It looks, it looks kind of like grass. To an untrained eye, it looks like you have a full patch of lawn. But here in a couple of months, even in a, maybe in as little as a couple of weeks, those grasses change color. They, they um, are no longer the same color as the native grass. And you will be left with dry spots or empty spots. The good seeds, the good crop is completely choked out. And that's like Satan's counterfeits. It looks like a yard. From a distance, it's the same color. You can't tell it, but it's counterfeit. It's not the real thing. The soil's good. The seed's good. But native things, native things that are accustomed to being there, grow with the good seed. I think for myself personally, I think this type of seed is something that I'm most familiar with. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really challenged as I think of that. The things that are native in our lives are often the things that especially choke out the good crop that God wants to grow in our lives. We've got our lifestyles. We've got it the way we want it. We've got the path in which we can make things the way we want it to be. The world is important to us. We gain the things that are 
that we are fixated on, it's important for us to remember what James said in his book. If we're a friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, it says. I know also for a fact that God has given us richly all things to enjoy, the Bible says. But it's just a unending complexity, I think, as Christians that we need to deal with. We need to be aware of all the time that these blessings that God has given us to enjoy can, in fact, choke out what God actually wants from us. Let's talk just a little bit more about these weeds. In the spiritual sense, when the Word of God enters a heart that's prepared and plowed up, your heart can only hold so much, you know. The ground is limited as it's to, in its capacity. And when there's weeds present, the weeds, because they're native to the soil, take the nourishment away from what is foreign to the soil. They're used to being there. It's actually their place and their spot. They've been there for a long time. As long as the weeds live, they grow. As long as the weeds are not challenged, they're the ones that are going to take over. They're going to be stronger. And as they get bigger, they're going to be harder to deal with. I think basically what this is telling us is that weeds, the cares of this world, need to be choked or pulled out at a tender age. In our uh, flower beds, for example, the longer you wait to pull the weeds out, the harder it is. If you get them when they're little shoots, just a little pinch down at the bottom and the whole thing comes with it. But when it's bigger, it's tough and it makes much more of a, of a yeah, the roots maybe don't even come along. Uh, they separate from the plant itself and you just have more weeds. I think the challenge is for us to identify things in our life at, a, at an early age, at an early time, uh, I'll remove that competition. <clears throat> the last category is the good soil. The good soil. The Bible says here in Matthew 13, verse 23, He that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also beareth fruit, and bringeth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Again, it's the same seed, it's the same soil, it's the same sower, different soil. This is the seed that Jesus is challenging all of us to have in our hearts, the type of hearts, the type of lives that receive it, and bear fruit, and bring fruit. I think it's interesting he says it two ways there. Bear fruit and bring fruit. There's fruitfulness. There's production. The noxious weeds don't take over. They don't choke out the crop. They're present, but they're not dominant. They don't take over. There's clear removal of these 
um, native weeds. And this soil, this good sea soil, doesn't have a, a hard pan of rocks that's close to the surface that doesn't allow roots to take place, but the roots go down and it sucks the nourishment out of the ground and puts it into growth and puts it into fruit. Fruit is the real test of salvation. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 to 20, to 21, actually, I think. There's, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount there, Jesus is very specific about that, the fruit test. And just like we can go to an apple tree and we can tell what kind of tree it is based on the apples, based on the fruit, we can tell the kind of plant. And that's exactly how it is in the spiritual sense. We can see what kind of heart, what kind of person based on the fruit. It's the true test of salvation. Romans chapter 6, verse 22, talks about being made free from sin and becoming servants to God. That's the, the real definition. And as a result of being servants to God, as a result of being made free from sin, we have fruit to holiness. Fruit to holiness. And I think it's something that we need to dial in on more closely than we do, uh, perhaps. Fruit to holiness. The absence of sin. Servants to God. You have a positive and a negative there. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, fruit is called Christian character. The fruit of the Spirit is those seven, or is it nine qualities there? Fruit produces Christian character. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, good fruit is also referred to as good works. Fruit, good works, things, meaningful things that we do for other people and for God are called fruit, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This has the idea of Bible study and has the idea of familiarization with, with, uh, with things that matter. And that becomes good works which um, are called fruit in this passage. In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, soul winning is called fruit. How many souls have you led to Christ in your lifetime or recently? How many, how many souls have you been instrumental in leading to the Lord? I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. And the reason he wanted to come is that he wanted to have some fruit among them. He saw them as an, as an opportunity. He saw the, um, Spain and the, uh, the, 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 the city of Rome, he saw as an opportunity for ministry, for soul winning. He wanted that fruit, soul winning. It's an evidence of, of our love for, for the Lord and our desire to walk with, with the Lord. And then in, in uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 25 to 28, he's talking there 
about how benevolence and generosity is a sign of fruit. In verse 28 of that passage, there was an offering that was taken as Paul journeyed on his missionary journeys. There was the um, outreach churches, you could say, were taking a offering that Paul was to take back to Jerusalem. And he says that their generosity equals fruit. It's a sign of their love for the Lord. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And he says, that is the fruit of our lips. Being thankful is a sign of our fruitfulness. It's the sign of a heart that's full of good soil, gratitude, praise, giving thanks to his name. There are several things that I want to leave with you in review and as I close. The parable of the sower is an important lesson for us today for at least several things. It teaches us how we need to have the Word of God in our lives. It teaches us how we need to condition our soil. It teaches us how we need to sow and what we need to sow. The first thing I see here is that Jesus says that it's important how we receive His words. It's important the condition of our hearts. We need to be aware and alert and intentional about the things that are competing for the attention of our hearts and our minds. Where is our heart turned? Is it turned toward God? Is it turned toward things that are not meaningful, that are temporary? I tell you, it's much easier than most of us think. It's much easier than most of us are willing to give ourselves, as we self-evaluate, it's much easier for us to have our hearts turn in the wrong direction. This parable is an important reminder that we have the option of deciding. There's a certain part that we have to play here. It's up to us to decide what is in our heart. It is up to us, to a certain extent, what the fruit is and how the fruit is and how much fruit we bear. Our natural, indication, our natural inclination is to look at things that are temporary. That's stuff that's native to us. That's native to our heart. We're in our human, in our fleshly way of thinking, we're limited to time, space, and matter. We're, we're, we're uh, yeah, time, for example. We think of things that are very temporary. And God wants us to think in things that are way bigger than temporary. Reminds me of Psalm 26, verse 2. And the NIV, test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. I think it's things that we need to do constantly, daily. Evaluate the intentions, the, thought, the things that are entering our lives. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that is so faithful in convicting us of areas in our hearts that need a change, that need attention. The second thing I see here is that we need to plant the Word of God in our heart. God's Word is so faithful 
And it is so potent. Hebrews says that it's alive. It's powerful. And when the Word of God is in our lives, it has the power to take over. And so we need to take it in. We need to dedicate ourselves to receiving this seed that's being thrown to us by some faithful messenger. When God's Word is planted in fertile, rich soil, it has the ability to produce lots of fruit. Unbelievable amount of fruit. Our hearts are the soil. It's important for us to have God's Word enter that soil. Keep your heart rich. Keep the soil of your heart rich by taking in the nutrients that the Bible offers. 19 times in Matthew chapter 13, you have the word hear or hearing used. 19 times. And that's the idea. That's the message that Jesus wants to extend to the disciples. It's the message that he wants to hear. Hear the word. Make it real. Turn your heart and your ear toward what God's word is for you. Allow it to enter your heart. Allow it to penetrate. Allow, it, allow, allow the Word of God to do that process. Dig into His Word. Plant and nurture the seeds that He gives you. Let the Holy Spirit sprinkle it with the, just the right amount of living water. Let His sun shine down and warm your heart so that there's the right temperatures in your heart. <clears throat> The third thing that this parable teaches us is that we need to throw seed. Everywhere we go, we need to chuck seed indiscriminately. Whatever soil is there. We're not responsible for the type of soil necessarily as we chuck seed. But we need to make sure that we get seed into all the spots, into all the areas. We need it wherever we go. Let's make sure that there's seed going there. Let's make sure that the 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 Word of God enters the picture. When we come into the picture, the Word of God comes, becomes part of the picture as well. How are you doing in your life? How are you doing with the people that you interact with? Are you throwing seed? Are you chucking seed indiscriminately? Regardless of the condition of the soil, you're making sure at least some seed gets in there. That's the challenge. The more seed we throw in every direction, the more likely we are to hit good soil, the more likely we are to have at least some fruit. <clears throat> Again, there's no discussion about the sower here. There's no discussion about the seed. It's not the skill of the sower. It's the state of the soil. And the more seed you throw, the more likely you are to hit good soil. It's important for us. Let's start throwing seed in every direction. Let's get it to where it can grow. Let's put the Word of God in places where it can bring fruit. And then fourthly, it's important for us to get rid of what hinders growth in our life. And I don't need to tell you this. You know it. We all know it. We need to get things out of our lives that are robbing us of the joy of fruitfulness. We need to allow God to plow our hearts so that we can actually receive, so that there's not this competing for the good soil. The weeds need to be taken out at a young age. Before they become big and, and bushy, 
Those weeds need to be pulled. Before they take over, before they choke the nutrients out of the good seed, God will help us do that. <clears throat> Perhaps there's someone here that finds yourself in a spot where, yeah, you feel conviction here this morning. You have not allowed God's word to enter your heart even once. Perhaps you're here and you have not allowed your, your ground, your soil of your heart to be delivered from rocks. Things that are hindering the seed from doing much more than becoming very small. The situation in your life is that seed hits and it's very temporary. It doesn't bring forth fruit. And perhaps there's people here that have weeds in their lives. Things that need to be uprooted and taken out. I think we know, we know about where we're at. We, we know what's competing in our heart. We're familiar enough with it. What God wants for all of us is to receive the transforming, the saving message of Jesus Christ. To have our soils, the condition of our heart, in a spot and in a condition that can receive soil and that can bring lots of good fruit. That's my prayer, and it should be the prayer of all of us. <clears throat> if you're able, I invite you to kneel for prayer. <clears throat>